Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It's like, at this point, like, I know what this person is capable of. I know, like, how angry they can get. Like, you know, it comes up a lot, like, well, why didn't you just leave? And it's like, well, <laughs> if you knew the whole thing, like, it, it doesn't work like that. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. I had, a, like, a thought in my head that I was going to screw that up, and then I just, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but... Today is part two of our Terror Begins at Home little series that we have done. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back, listen to it from last week. You'll have a nice little bingeable two hours. Uh, But yeah, don't start here. You will be very confused. Here we are. Happy Wednesday. How are we doing, guys? I think we're doing great. We're doing good. We're doing wonderful. Billy, I, before we started recording, I saw you grabbed some books I did. off a shelf. Do you, are you doing anything with those for this ep- the intro of this episode? I did. I grabbed a book uh, called The Badge by Jack Webb, but I just used it to prop up my computer a little bit. Okay. Just wondering if it had any relevance it, it, it did. It's a true crime book, but yeah. <laughs> um, let's do a little shout out to our Patreon. This week uh, came out yesterday. You guys did a Crime Con recap. I mean, I was there asking all the questions, but I was not there at Crime Con. And, uh, you were in spirit, though. I talked about you every Every two seconds. <laughs> you felt lost without me, right? I did. But yeah, I, Alexis and Billy basically gave us a step-by-step of every single moment that happened at CrimeCon, and it was amazing. So yeah. if Weird, you haven't joined the our awkward, Patreon. The gossip, all the insider info, all of Billy's shenanigans, and they were a plethora. <laughs> all, all of my <laughs> shenanigans, exactly. Me catching COVID. They were shenaniganing. Um, there's there's a, no, a lot of good stuff there. And then you can also, uh, yeah, we have a lot of special things there and video and things. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We will shout out the fact that uh, Alexis is or maybe has at this point uploaded your guys' panel that you did. So that's an hour of video content of a panel that I will be watching because I'm so excited to see what you guys talked about. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay. Ooh. Well, uh, what day is it today, Billy? Today is May 11th. I couldn't be more happier. It's Hostess Cupcake Day. More happier. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just It's Hostess Cupcake Day. My favorite uh, snack as a kid, the hostess cupcake. I would eat three of them with a big glass of milk. Oh, this is what I would do. How do you eat a hostess cupcake? Some people they eat it whole, some people like to peel off the top of the hostess cupcake. 
and then eat that first and then eat it. How do you guys do it? Is it a cupcake or is it like a ding dong? Does it have a name? It's it's this thing right here. Oh, it's like the brown thing. But what's it called? It's just cupcake? It's Hostess Cupcakes, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to eat those. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wasn't a big fan of those, but if I were to eat one right now, how I would eat it is peel off the top and probably just eat the top because it has the nice little frosting. Top of the muffin to you. Top of the muffin. That's right. They make muffin tops. Like there's no need for the rest of the muffin. The muffin top is all you need. It's so moist on top. Yeah. When the muffin goes and does its own thing. It does its own thing. You know, it's revamping. That's right. All right. Well, I think that that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Last week, we introduced you to Katie, who shared the story of our relationship with her senior year of high school boyfriend, Ryan Stroop. And Katie will be with us today for part two of this story as well. But as you're listening, there are some points we really want to drive home. First of all, not all relationships riddled with abuse end in murder. But some do. When Katie met Ryan, he seemed great, but the abusive behavior crept in slowly. And after his behavior continued to become more violent, Katie finally had the strength to leave Ryan. But then the harassment and humiliation began. Ryan made terroristic threats of violence against her family. He threatened to burn her house down. He threatened to abduct her little brother from school. It was cruel and it was relentless. Katie did everything right, but Ryan was dedicated to making Katie miserable. One day, Katie was blindsided when Ryan called her out of the blue from a number she didn't recognize. When she answered... She thought maybe, just maybe, if she met up with him and talked to him rationally like a human being, maybe she could make this abuse stop. During that meeting, Ryan beat and assaulted Katie. And it was at that moment she realized that Ryan had the capacity to kill. And sadly, she would be right. Part two of today's case takes us back to January 26th of 2021, not too long ago. The number one song in the U.S. was Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License. We all know that one. The setting for part two of this case is Ashland, Ohio, which is 66 miles southwest of Cleveland and 82 miles northeast of Columbus. Part one of our story started in Mansfield, and Ashland is a neighboring town. It's about a 24-minute drive from Mansfield, so same general area. As you know, the story so far is centered around Katie. At this point, Katie had been granted an order of protection against Ryan. However, Katie was still living in the area, which made forgetting about him and all that he'd put her through really difficult. I would be out and about kind of around Mansfield. If I went out, people would come up to me and be like, oh, so do you and Ryan still talk? Like, whatever happened with that? Like, people would say stuff like that to me in the years after, and I'm like, what the fuck do you think? Like, do you think we still talk? No. Like, why would I still talk to him? Katie was traumatized from her ordeal, and she had a lot of healing to do. But from that point forward, she was free from Ryan's violence and his threats. But remember, Ryan and Katie were from a small town, so she still heard about her ex. And while Katie would refuse to speak with Ryan, she did keep tabs on him because she feared him. I would still 
keep up with what he was doing on social media only because I, I was scared of him, you know, like if he's living close to me, I want to know what he's doing. Like, I don't want him to just be off in the ether, like plot, I don't know, plotting against me. Like that sounds paranoid, but you know, you, you keep tabs on somebody that has hurt you like that and has been so scary. So I actually had a shadow Facebook account because I hadn't blocked on my own, but I created just a random one just so I could look and see what was going on. Katie was committed to moving on from her experience, but sadly, she recalls being met with a lot of judgment about her whole situation, which didn't help her healing process at all, obviously. But that didn't stop her. Katie worked hard and saved her money until she had enough to leave. I finished my associate's degree. I had a really good job. I saved up enough money to move out of Mansfield. Moving out of Mansfield for good put some much-needed distance between her and the horrible memories of Ryan. But like we said, she still kept tabs on him just in case. And just as Katie was moving on, it seemed that Ryan had too. I saw that he had had a baby because everybody that knew both of us felt the need to tell me like he had a baby and then later got married and then was supposedly this very like active person in his Catholic church where he was living. And in my head, I'm like, that's such bullshit, but whatever. I literally watched him try to assault a man of the cloth. So reminder, in last week's episode, Katie told us about when she moved to Columbus and she joined a dance group through a Greek Orthodox church. And during a church festival, Ryan came to see one of her final performances, and he ended up in an altercation with the priest at his church. So as a result, Ryan destroyed Katie's relationship with his organization because she was too embarrassed to return, even though she was really thriving in this group. So for Katie, the idea that now he's this church-going man, when she's literally seen him assault a man of the cloth, it wasn't aligning with the person she ultimately broke up with. Yeah. And Katie is hearing that following their breakup, Ryan got into this other relationship. And from an outside perspective, this appeared to be the perfect relationship. It appeared that they had it all together. And not knowing the true inner workings of Ryan's new relationship, Katie started to second guess everything. He got married, had a baby, whatever. And in my head, it was kind of fucked up because I'm like, was it me the whole time? Like, you still have that thing where it's like, did I make this man insane? Like, it's still it's such a product of that kind of gaslighting because I'm like, Oh look, he's married and has a kid and seems to be doing well. But then I was like, you know what though? Like people thought we were fine and we most certainly were not. So I just kind of, I had to stop doing that after a while. By 2018, Katie had totally moved on with her life. She moved to Georgia. She had gotten into a new loving relationship and got married. She had a life that she loved. And Ryan had no impact on her day-to-day. So I was living in Savannah, Georgia at that time. And my husband and I were driving to Atlanta for a concert. And it was my turn to drive because it's like about three and a half hours from Savannah to Atlanta. So we'd always split the drive. And my phone vibrated. And I looked down and it says, Ryan Straup is trying to friend request you on Instagram. And like, I thought I had him blocked, but he, I mean, it, all it would take was him making a new one. And I looked down and my husband is aware of everything, but I was like, I need to pull over. Like, I need to pull over right now because like literally just that notification, like I just, I started to sweat. Like I started to cold sweat. I started to shake. And then I open up my Facebook and he's trying to request me on Facebook. Katie had enjoyed a few years with a zero contact from him. So what the hell does he want now? 
Not to mention Katie is married. And as far as she knew, Ryan was too. So as Katie's driving and seeing these alerts on her phone, she had this urge she needed to pull over. It was really overwhelming for her to see this stuff. I was like, you need to drive. Like, I don't know what's going on. So I called both my parents because I'm kind of freaking out. He threatened all of us, you know, in the past. And my parents still lived in that area. Something as small as like a social media notification, you know, like something that little, like just kind of sent me into like this, this panic. Katie's mind was spinning. Like what the fuck could have prompted Ryan to try to connect with her this time? By this point, Katie was savvy when it came to looking up court documents and the likes. And remember how she had to take Ryan to court for an order of protection? She jumped online to see what she could find. I looked up Ashland County Court of Clerks and I see that he's getting a divorce. And there's all this paperwork on like his his divorce with his wife. And it it was ugly. I don't know her. I've never talked to her. I'm not going to lie. I thought about her a lot after they got married and especially after they had a kid because in my head I was like, I just hope she's okay. Like, I really hope what happened to me isn't happening to her. Um, and unfortunately, it looks like he was getting, a, he was abusive towards her, especially after they had their baby. The The divorce proceedings and like all the transcripts are just awful to read. Katie was right. Ryan hadn't gotten his shit together at all. In fact, it seems as though he had gotten much worse. All made clear by the documentation and court records related to Ryan's divorce from his wife. And Katie read them all. It seems like to me, their divorce like went on for a long time. And I think they they had a kid together. So I think he was trying to like basically get as much time with the kid without as much child support. So I remember reading like in the transcripts and it, to me, it, in the way it's outlined, he took like a lesser paying job so that he wouldn't have to pay for as much child support. Then I read in, it was like September, 2020, I think he was put in jail for violating a protection order. And it sounds like there was an incident where he, he locked himself in his apartment with his daughter and wouldn't come out with the police there. Ryan was the same cunning and controlling abuser that Katie had broken up with. Even down to an incident of barricading himself into a room and having to have the police called on him. But the second time around, it was with his baby. This is truly scary stuff. It's almost the exact same situation. Just with, there's there's a child in that apartment with him. So I read where he had been put in jail, and I think he was in jail for a couple months for violating the protection order because it looks like he was just harassing his ex-wife. There are copies of some text messages in there that he had sent her saying, like, nobody's ever going to want you. Like, I don't know, like, what exactly her life is, but it, he was making fun of some kind of illness that she has, like a chronic illness, saying, like, you're so damaged. Like, nobody's ever going to want you with, like, that illness going on. Yeah, this is sickening. And Katie, of course, felt for Ryan's ex-wife because she'd been there and experienced that terror firsthand. So following this flood of information, Katie remained rattled by Ryan's attempts to connect with her on social media. I had nightmares for a long time after after all that went down. And like, I, especially like when I started like being really happy and successful in my life, I would have this nightmare where I was trapped in that apartment and I couldn't get out. 
Katie dealt with these lingering thoughts and fears related to Ryan's attempt to reach her and everything she learned in the court documents associated with his divorce. And while aspects of the trauma would always be with Katie, the persistent thoughts slowly started to burn off as well. That was until the end of January of 2021. My best friend calls me and she never calls me since we're four hours different. She's back in Ohio. She never calls me at the time she called. So I knew like, and I knew she was at work because she had texted me earlier that day from work, just something funny. And she's like, I don't know if this is true, but on Facebook, somebody posted something about Ryan murdering someone. Had Ryan actually done this? Had he escalated to exactly the point of violence that Katie was fucking terrified of? Katie's mind just started racing. My first thought was, like, he killed his ex-wife. Like, I thought it was going to be her because of this whole custody battle that they've been having and, like, all the harassment. Like, I I thought it was going to be her. So, of course, like, I pull up Facebook and I, you know, search his name or whatever. And there it is. So what had Ryan done? Whose life had he taken? To learn the answer to that, you know the drill. We got to go back. By January of 2021, things in Ryan's life weren't going great. Let's count the ways. In only three years, he was on his heels of a contentious divorce, and the second woman he'd had a significant relationship with had filed an order of protection against him. He's also been arrested for violating the order of protection of his ex-wife. Now, as far as his career goes, according to his LinkedIn page, which is still active, he was the assistant manufacturing manager at Hedstrom Plastics. Katie mentioned that she believes this company was owned by his aunt. And beyond that, he'd taken a much lower paying position to avoid paying child support to his ex-wife, which is pretty classy. Beyond that, Mansfield and Ashland were small towns, So word of Ryan's behavior had permeated, and by this point, he had a terrible reputation. Right, and I observed some of that when we were doing the research for this episode. There are articles about this case, and there were comments under articles posted online, and one particular comment read, quote, This dude is a piece of shit. He locked his ex-wife in the trunk of his car and drove around with her in there. I'm pretty sure that's why she had the protection order against him. He always goes out to bars and prowls on women. My wife went out with her friends to the wagon wheel and her friend was dancing. And there he was in the background staring at her creeping. Again, bad reputation. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about the wagon wheel in that comment. And it's really, really relevant to the story. So we looked it up. The wagon wheel is a dark bar with neon signs in the window, an Irish pub. And many of the comments on Yelp read like this. Quote, it really is a great place to sit around with a small group of friends and bullshit for hours. Bartenders are nice. People are welcoming. I definitely recommend to come here if you're in Ashland for a night. So if you're picturing this classic dark dive bar, then you're pretty close to what the wagon wheel really is. We've all been to a bar like this. And per the Facebook post Alexis read moments ago, this is where Ryan liked to come and creep on girls, to be honest. And that's exactly what Ryan decided to do on the evening of Monday, January 25th. Also at the wagon wheel that night was a 41-year-old woman named Tina Goad. She had gone to the bar with her cousin for just a chill night and a couple of drinks. Tina was a mother of three, and she was a lifelong resident of the Mansfield-Ashland area. 
She worked at a company called REM Ohio, which provides services for people with disabilities to help find them employment and develop skills to gain independence. Right. And here's a side note for you. As we unfold details of this story, you'll see that a lot of details have not been released. So it's unclear how or why Ryan and Tina started speaking together that night. It's something I looked for high and low. It has not been made public. It's also unclear how Tina was ultimately separated from her cousin or her group of friends or what she may have told them about leaving that night. What we do know is that people at the bar or someone at the bar saw Tina leaving at the end of the night with a white guy matching Ryan's description. It's unclear whether she was taking willingly from the location and the circumstances surrounding her leaving the bar at all. So regardless, we know that the following morning, when Tina didn't show up to take one of her three kids to school, Tina's family knew immediately that something was wrong. Tina was one of the most loving and responsible mothers in the world, and it was not like her to miss something like taking her son to school. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. So Tina's family tried to contact her on her cell repeatedly to no avail. Her phone was turned off. Again, this was completely, completely unlike her. Her family were worried sick and reported her missing the same Tuesday afternoon on the 26th, insisting to the police that something terrible must have happened. However, unbeknownst to her family, the case involving Tina had actually been unfolding all through the previous evening in the early hours of the morning starting with a 911 call that had been made at 2.15 a.m. that morning. Please call dispatch. My son had called all around midnight, and I finally been able to get a hold of him again. He, he had just told me the first conversation that he'd done something. Done something is what he had said, and he was going to go out of state and hide it. So I talked to his, called his mother shortly after that, and his car is not there. Um, what we're trying to, she said to ask what we're trying to do is if his mother and her husband, my ex-wife and, and her husband, could, if the police could do a standby, there's a dog that's unattended in, in the apartment. Um, and what he had said the last time I was able to get a hold of him at 1.35, he claims he's been drinking. Okay. The voice you just heard belongs to the father of Ryan Stroop. And he's describing a call that he received from his son, who said he was going to go out of state to hide because he's a sniveling coward and also because he did something bad. Continue. The thing about it is, when I finally got a hold of him at 135, where he answered the phone, and he finally he claims that he was in a bar at Ashland last night. He claims he picked up someone, some lady, um, that. It went south, and that he claims he killed her out in the country. Who did he tell me? Who did he tell? Who did he say this to you? Yes, sir. Um, the thing about it is, of course, that's not terrible enough. But I'm trying to. Uh, his mother wants to go. It's not the most important thing, but there is an unattended dog. I I don't know what's going on at that apartment. Okay. There's a lot here that's really infuriating. So a couple things to unpack. So let's start with the fact that Ryan's father called at 2.15 a.m., but clearly Ryan's calls to him started at around midnight. All of this is made very clear by the fact that he said he finally got a hold of Ryan at 1.35 after the initial call was made around midnight. So why would Ryan's dad wait so long to call 911? My thinking is to give him a fucking head start. I don't know. It's just really shocking, and it makes you feel like, okay, maybe the apple doesn't fall very far. 
Okay, so this was at 135 this morning that he told you this. Correct. Tell me what again he said. Did he kill somebody? Did he say who he killed? No, he didn't. He wouldn't tell me anything. I was I, I couldn't get him to say anything. He woke me up the first time at midnight, claiming that he had done something wrong, and then, you know. And then I talked to his mother, and then he wouldn't answer. I finally got him to answer the phone, and he, I said, "You got to tell me what's going on. You, you can't do this to, to me, you know, me and your mother. You know what I'm saying?" Um, and then he said he he claims he killed somebody that he picked up at an Ashland bar. Did he say it was a male or female? Female. Said it was a girl. He said he met at the bar like last night, being like tonight, last night kind of thing, or like yesterday? Yes. Yeah, yeah last night. At like at 10 o'clock or whatever? Correct. So they knew at midnight and waited two hours. No sense of urgency for the innocent woman that Ryan stole the life of. It's fucking unbelievable. What if her life could have been saved in those two hours? Okay, you said he sounded like he was intoxicated? He didn't to me, but he said he was. He's definitely an alcoholic. He had been at the rehab um, in September and October. You know where he's at right now? Maybe you're not sure. I have no idea. He won't, he won't tell me. I, he won't tell me anything. Okay, so there are lots more to unpack here. Ryan seemingly making a confession to his father, saying that he killed a woman he met at a bar. Then his father starts to talk about his son's alcoholism and disclose that he'd been to rehab recently. His dad sounds shockingly cavalier in this conversation. Does he have, is he violent? Does he have a violent history or anything? He's had some, done some stupid things when he's drunk. He's got a record of some misdemeanors in Ashland. I don't know that I would say violent, but he definitely is. When he's drunk, he's done some really bad Okay, so this idea that the dad's saying, I don't know that I'd say he's violent, that makes me actually want to scream. We know that Ryan physically assaulted Katie. It, you know, their final meeting culminated in a true beating. Like, he beat her up. But before that, he was yanking her around by the arm. He was doing, you know, more subtle acts of violence. Subtle is not even the right word for it. No one should fucking be touching or yanking anybody around. But for the dad who knows all of this, who knows that his son has had two orders of protection placed against him, his dad knows this, is saying, I wouldn't say he's violent. It shows you the kind of denial that allows this kind of behavior to persist. You know, the dad then has the audacity to be like, he does stupid things when he's drunk. It's almost like the dad's laying a groundwork for defense and already starting to make excuses for him. So we're obviously floored when we hear this. My mom would be like, send her to jail. She's <laughs> she's useless. Like, you yeah. can't. My parents would be so mortified if I had turned into this type of person and, and calling to confess to some murder. So obviously, Katie knows this family. So we wanted to know what she thought when she heard this. His dad, I never cared for the guy. I get angry thinking about it now. But he said something to the effect of like, well, he does really stupid stuff when he's drunk. To me, I'm like, you're part of the problem. <laughs> like this indifference towards his behavior, his family... I'm not saying they didn't do anything, but like they kind of would just brush it off. Like something would happen and it's like, okay, like we'll handle it. And then it just, they didn't stop talking to him or they didn't stop like supporting him or anything. 
Katie had seen this same indifference to Ryan's violent and manipulative behavior within their own relationship. His parents made excuses for him then, and they're doing it now. It's almost like Ryan's continuous lack of consequences could have led Ryan to commit the ultimate crime, murdering an innocent woman. But he's like, you know, he's telling me he killed some woman and left her out in Ashland. I know you just found out your son is telling you, like, he murdered someone, but, like, that's that's your that's your response. <laughs> that just, it's just, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it. But the 911 call isn't over yet. Was this my phone or text that he was telling you this? This was all over the phone, okay. Did he sound like he was distraught, kind of? Well, my thing is, is I'm being, you know, I, I, he's definitely an alcoholic. Like I said, been to rehab. I can never tell when he's drunk because he can, he, it just blows my mind. I'm not a drinker. He can sit there and talk a normal conversation, but he definitely was rambling. Um, you know, I, I don't mean he was stuttering or anything, but he's telling me crazy things. I guess that's, I guess that's my interpretation that he's acting irrational. All right. Well, I guess that means that Ryan wasn't distraught. That's awesome. So where the fuck was Ryan now? No, when he woke me up the first time at midnight, he told me he was near me in the Cleveland area, but he would, again, he wouldn't tell me where, he wouldn't tell me anything. He just said that he had done something and he needed to go hide, and I'm trying to get him to talk to me, and he's saying, you know, Dad, I, I, I got to go. I don't want, you know, there's nothing I can tell and boom, and then I tried to call him a couple other times, and I called his mom, and then, like I said, and then I did get him to answer the phone again at 135. <laughs> And trying to get him to understand that he's got us all in a, it's not about me, but you know what I'm saying. All right. Didn't go, didn't go any other detail. What's this, what's this about a hotel room out of state? He said he might do that, you mean? He said to me that he has got, he's getting a room to get some sleep and he's out of state. So Ryan tells his dad that he needs to get a hotel room because he needs to get some sleep. Are you fucking kidding me with this? The whole thing is pretty batshit. Looking at his behavior and the dad's behavior and what Ryan's confessing to, it's like something went south. I I killed a woman, left her in the woods. I'm going to go hide and I'm going to get some sleep. It's just like all of it is really fucking shocking and casual is really casual. what I'm hearing. Like the dad yeah. even sounds casual. Well, and the dad has obviously been like enabling all of his fucking shitty behavior probably his entire life and making excuses for everything that he's done. No, and honestly, some discipline with this kid at a young age. Like your kids, if they're fucked up, aren't hopeless if you fucking act. Yeah. You know, like they need discipline. They need to feel like secure and love. Like they can't go. I'm not blaming parents for all the, the crimes of their children, but like good parenting, it works. You know, sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes yeah. it does. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't yeah. hurt. Yeah. The effort's always worth it, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like with the, with this relationship they have, that there's something a little bit off here. And at least like he's, he he took the half step, which is, which, which a lot of people might not have done, you know, yeah. he actually called the police. But um, two hours still, after, two hours after, I understand that. And now they're just, worried about getting the dog out of the apartment. And now they're worried that the dog thing, which, yeah, it's, it's fucking, not great. It's like so gross. It's really not great. 
All right. So, of course, at this point, the cops want to know where to find Ryan. What state would you think he would go to? Does he have any place to go? I really don't know. I'm sorry. I just have no idea what he's doing. It's just, and I'm hoping it's just a cockamamie story. But like he said, when I talked to, when I called the uh, number online for the Ash Police Department, the lady, you know, told me I needed to call you and uh, see if someone could meet his mother. She she has a key that they can meet. She just. Especially after a story, she's concerned about what to find, but she'd like to get the dog. I realize that's not the priority here. So not only did the police need to track down this murderer right away, but they needed to find the woman that he was claiming that he killed. The hope, of course, was that they may still be able to find the victim alive. So the police put out a bolo on Ryan's purple 2005 plum purple Toyota Camry. And it's unclear how they ultimately tracked him down, but if we're guessing, it could have been using cell phone pings or tracking his bank card. But the point is here that they did find him. Right. And when they found him, he was hiding out at a shitty motel in Cleveland. So inside the motel, they found him with a Jimenez Arms 9mm handgun. They interviewed him right there in the room on the spot. And shockingly, or maybe not shockingly, given what he said to his dad, he confessed to what he'd done. And the details of the interview were vague, but what was released is that he admitted that this had been a premeditated murder, which blows my mind, Mm -hmm. totally blows my mind. And I have a ton of questions, which we'll address later in the show. He also agreed within this conversation to direct detectives to the location of where he'd done this horrible, disgusting thing. When asked the name of the person whose life he stole, he said he didn't know, which gives me the chills and it's like the magnitude of what you've done and you're just like I don't know I don't know she's she's nameless she's faceless I don't know that she has three kids I don't know that she works for a company that gives opportunities to people with disabilities it's just disgusting we do know her name though Tina Goad and she was a loving mother of three whose family was sick with worry about where she was like Alexa said she was a mother to a daughter with disabilities who relied on her And at this point, during Ryan's callous confession, they still had no idea that their loved one was gone. Following Ryan's instructions, Ashland police and state BCI investigators traveled to an area off Country Road 1095 in Ashland. And there, they found the body of a woman who had suffered multiple gunshot wounds. She was pronounced deceased at the scene. When news broke that a body had been found in this area, Tina's family were so worried that the person they found could be her that they physically drove down to the scene to speak with police. And sadly, Tina was the identified victim. And her family was obviously so destroyed with this news. 30-year-old Ryan Stroop was arrested and indicted on 11 counts, including two counts of aggravated murder, three counts of kidnapping, two counts of aggravated robbery, and one count of gross abuse of a corpse noting that, quote, Ryan did treat a human corpse in a way that would outrage reasonable community sensibilities. And of course, the specifics about that have not been released, but you can glean what you want from that, Yeah, right? The specifics related to his indictments weren't released to the public, as Lex said, so our minds are left to speculate about what Ryan may have actually done to earn these indictments. It's really sickening. On the heels of Ryan's arrest and Tina's identification, his mugshot was plastered all over the news. And Katie remembers the first time she saw it and how she felt. Just seeing him like that, it was just very, 
very surreal, I guess is the best way I can put it. People kept asking me like, oh, are you relieved he's he's in jail right now? And I'm like, well, no, because a, a woman is dead. That does not bring me any relief in any sense of, of the matter. Once the news of Tina's murder reached the public, there were so many questions and a ton of interest in the case itself. People wanted to know how Ryan knew Tina, what their connection was, and so much more. When I heard like, okay, it, the the victim was Tina Goad, at first was like, well, were they dating? Like, did they know each other? Or like, had they gone out before? Because when it first broke, there wasn't a ton of details. I was like glued to my laptop. So I was looking at comments on social media because I wanted to see what people were saying. And I kept seeing comments of like, oh, this guy tried to hit on me at the gym or this guy came to an AA meeting and tried to take me out on a date. Or I saw this guy, you know, at this bar and he tried to hit on us. That whole day was just me kind of obsessively checking the news. And it came out like maybe two or three hours later that they were formally charging him with her murder. It was just so surreal. Like, I can't even explain what that felt like. I would see headlines from back home before this about somebody like about a murder or, you know, something crazy happening. And I opened it every time thinking that it would be him. And this time it was, unfortunately, for Tina Goad's family. As the details in the case were slowly released, the ugly side of social media reared its ugly head, probably unsurprisingly. And sickeningly, there was victim blaming. People speculated about how intoxicated Tina must have been that night or questioned why she would have gone anywhere with him to begin with. And we saw the same shit with Katie when she left their relationship. Why are people scrutinizing the victims instead of the perpetrator, the villain in this entire story? It's really unreal. Regardless, despite the flurry of questions about what happened to Tina, the details were pretty scant. Right. And as we said earlier, when we were doing the research for this case, social media was a really big asset for us in learning sort of the climate of these discussions and, and things like that. And Members of Tina's family actually engaged in some of these conversations. I found details in this way that I wouldn't have found otherwise. So on one Facebook post, Tina's cousin, who, as we said, had been with her at the wagon wheel that night, defended Tina against people who were raising these shitty asshole questions about what Tina was doing that may have led to this happening. So in the process of defending Tina, they revealed another piece of information that hadn't been released to the public. So this is a direct quote from the comment. By the way, I'm going to read this verbatim. This isn't how I would talk, but I'm saying exactly what this comment says. And it's also in response to someone shaming her cousin. Absolutely. So that's the yeah. context you need. Yeah. I am Tina's oldest cousin. I was with her that evening. She was not drunk like you say. And bitch, stop shaming her so we even know her. Fuck no, you don't. I will tell you I can come back up north. And to let you, yes, he was supposed to have a date that night with another woman, but she canceled. Tina couldn't have done nothing different. Yeah, she could have stayed home, but she needed some time for her. So if you don't mind, mind your business before I get in your business. And honestly, I can't say I would handle it with much more grace no. than she is. If someone was talking, like this was happening right after Tina was found too. Like you don't, Ugh. it's no. a raw time for family. You don't do this shit yeah. to people's families. Who are the fucking people that do this shit? Like I, it takes a special kind of, 
shitty fucking asshole to be that type of person that is going to go on social media without knowing anything about this person and just spread their fucking judgmental victim blaming opinion and taunt the family and taunt the family like it's so fucked up and also it's like the last like part of that comment was you know she could have stayed home but she wanted to blow off some seams so it's like so she deserved this because she went out to a fucking bar this could have happened to any woman at any time that they have left their house like that's the stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard in my entire life yeah not to mention the wagon wheel is not a dangerous place. It's a chill. It's a it's a dive. She wasn't yeah. at like doing bottle service. And even if she was. Even if she was. Also not okay. <laughs> but like I'm trying to understand where this these people come from with these weird judgments. But let me tell you, I do know the woman. The person who said this to provoke the cousin was a woman, which Ugh. is shocking on its own because it's like, lady, we're all we're all victimized at an alarming rate. Like why would you – have women's backs. Like yep. if more yeah. of us had each other's backs, less of this would be happening. Yeah. So once Katie's shock had worn off, she knew that she wanted to help the state build their case against Ryan, which is really commendable. She said that she had experienced Ryan's violence firsthand. And of course she had stories to share with them. I immediately got in contact with the DA for Ashland County because it was tried in Ashland and just told him my story and then he linked me up with a detective who I talked to. In terms of the charges Ryan was facing, in addition to those he was facing for abducting and murdering Tina, Ryan was once again charged with violating a protection order in the case of his ex-wife, which he'd apparently done within 24 hours before he killed Tina. Which let's let's pause for a second because I think that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Like before he did this, it speaks to frame of mind. So it's like his date canceled on him. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he violates the protection order of his ex-wife, who we know he abuses and treats like shit and had a contentious yeah. divorce with. So, like, there's this, like, you know, string of rejection or whatever the fuck, feeling like not a man, feeling like he can't do whatever he wants. I don't know what this dumbass feels inside. But I think those are interesting events to have happen in, like, a triangle. Yeah. And it's, like, this, like, manic escalation all at once. Yeah. He's on this weird mission, this entitled mission, this deranged mission. And the judge, he sets his bond at $5 million. Even though... Ryan had confessed, he actually pleads not guilty. As we keep saying, little has been released about this case, but we are all like mini detectives, so we can deduce a lot of things based on some of the charges in this indictment. So the fact that Ryan was charged with kidnapping, right? That was a question we had off the back. We don't know the circumstances of how she ended up leaving with him and how she ended up going to this location with him. But if he, if he was charged with kidnapping, that should happen against her will, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't know at what point it turned against her will. But we know that regardless, this wasn't a willing thing she went to go do. We also know that he was charged with robbery, so he stole from her. So when we're trying to like in our giant true crime brains piece together why he would have done this and the circumstances that led him to do it, all right, there's theft and there's kidnapping. So – Tina's sister also made a public statement on the heels of this murder, and she said that Tina's eldest daughter had a developmental disability and that she was in disbelief when she told her that her mom had passed away. And she told her, the daughter, that the mom passed away in a car accident because she couldn't tell her the truth because it would have been too much for her. And she said, quote, we had to tell her that her mom died in a car accident because it was more easy for her to understand. 
the sound of her voice as he broke the news was awful. She said, no, I don't want my mom to die. Her voice shaking with emotion. It's horrible. It's just like <sighs> that juxtaposed against like the cavalier nature mm-hmm. of of Ryan and her his dad not knowing the name. It just the makes not you knowing sick. the name. The dad worried about the dog. I mean, think about that. Think about the dad sick. worried about the dog and thinking about the the, the little girl saying that. Yeah. <sighs> So there was an outpouring of sadness following the loss of Tina, obviously. Her employer released a statement that read, We are devastated by the news of Tina's death. She was incredibly proud of the work she did caring for others and was a much-loved member of the REM family. Our thoughts and prayers are with her family at this very difficult time. And when this happened, Tina was approaching her 42nd birthday, which was on February 6th. And now instead of celebrating her life, her family was tasked with making funeral arrangements. Memorial posts were made all over social media, which referred to Tina as a loving woman who enjoyed dancing, camping, and being outdoors. Tina was a regular at the soccer fields, taking her son to play and practice. And Tina was beloved by so many. And Ryan Stroop, this violent, abusive piece of shit, had taken her life out of the blue. After Ryan pleaded not guilty, his defense worked to mount a defense. And according to court records... His lawyers filed motions and were approved to hire three testifying experts, a mitigation specialist, a mental health expert, and a defense investigator. So it looked like they were posturing themselves to fight it out in court. We're unsure of what their approach was, given the fact that he confessed and he also had the murder weapon. Katie followed along as all of this unfolded. The thing that sticks out to me the most as far as like court proceedings is the only thing that I think that was able to be streamed live as it was happening was his change of plea. So he pled guilty and then sentencing. They did all of it like in one fell swoop. And that was pretty, pretty intense to watch. While Ryan originally pled not guilty, he would eventually change his plea, which took the death penalty off the table. And it also spared Tina's family a really painful trial. But as we all know with this, without a trial, a lot of the questions about this case are never going to be answered. Details remain scant to this day. Ryan pleaded guilty to the charges of aggravated murder, kidnapping, aggravated robbery, tampering with evidence, gross abuse of a corpse, violating that protection order, and improperly handling firearms in a vehicle for the death of Tina Goad. So many questions remain, starting with the premeditation aspect. Why did he do this? Why did he have a gun with him that night? We don't know, but we ask Katie what theories she has. To just go out to a bar and then just casually have that in your car, like, it's just, I don't know, it's very Ed Kemper to me in that that scenario. But I have to wonder if, like, maybe he was trying to get something from her and she she wasn't having it and he had just reached his breaking point. Because you hear about this with, with men. They pick people up and then they try and get stuff and they get rejected. And it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And I think maybe something was different with Tina and maybe she fought back and he shot and killed her. And we mentioned this question earlier. Tina was reportedly robbed. So how does that come into play? Was Ryan hard up for money? Was it a control thing? What was the deal with that? I don't remember him being particularly good with money, but pretty much like your money was his money kind of thing. When we were together, I mean, I had a job. He never had a job, but he would take my money. He would take my card. He would spend all of my money, basically. On the public record, like, 
it shows him making like 70 grand or something a year at one of the jobs he did. And then he took a much lower paying job of like 40 grand. The judge in this case sentenced Ryan to life in prison and he'll be eligible for parole after 52 and a half years. He'll be 82 years old if he's ever released at all. Tina's loved ones made victim impact statements at Ryan's sentencing. Her sister refused to refer to Ryan by name and said calling him the monster and a coward who took her sister's life. Her statement drew tears from the audience, which included the detectives who worked the case. And as she read the statement, Ryan's eyes gazed towards the floor. His posture didn't break for the entirety of her statement. Ryan is now locked up, and Tina was taken from her children and loved ones. Now all we can do is try to learn from this. It's a true tragedy all around, surely felt most by Tina's children who relied on her every day. And this brings us back to Katie, her experience in the abuse she suffered at Ryan's hands. How we got here, and also what we can learn. Domestic violence leads to many murders, and shaming people about the dynamics of these relationships will just further isolate those trapped in the cycles of these relationships. When what they really need is the support and understanding and how to get out of these situations as safely and deliberately as possible. People who are supposed to be my friends say, well, you kind of did that to yourself then, didn't you? Like, did you not think that this would happen, you know, when you went back? We need to be better allies, you know, to to people with domestic violence like this. And also, like, I was really scared to talk to you about all this because in the back of my mind, I still have that thing of like, what if he hears this? And, you know, like after talking to my best friend who is the one that even called me about all like the whole thing, you know, she was like, he's in prison. You know, he's in prison. He, he did this horrible thing. He doesn't deserve to hide in darkness. I was compelled to share this with you guys because I really think the way we treat people who have gone through trauma like this, it it needs to change. The things you say and the way you treat people after they get out of this situation, it it really matters. And it, it really, it really sticks with you. I was traumatized by this. You know, I was 20 years old by the time I was out of it. I was young, you know, like I don't consider 20 years old an adult. Very rare circumstances, I think. Are you 20 years old and have a decent head on your shoulders? This altered my entire life. That PTSD is a very, very real thing. And that that stuff like lives with you, whether you want it to or not, whether you try and compartmentalize it, you try and, you know, push it down, it's there. And the more we talk about it, you know, the more a light is, is shined on these types of things. Katie is courageous and escaped a potentially deadly situation. And we're grateful for the candor and candidness she's demonstrated in this two part story. With that said, we have one more important question to pose. Could there be other people who are victimized by Ryan Stroop out there? I just feel like there's more women out there who are victimized by him and we just don't know that they're out there. It makes me wonder how many times he did this before and got away with maybe like robbing a woman at gunpoint or maybe robbing a sex worker or something like or trying to pick up a girl and get something from her. I think he had done this before. It just doesn't seem that random to me. I mean, it's, it's random in that he killed a stranger. He didn't kill someone he was dating. And one last parting thought. 
Remember when Katie told us about when years after her breakup with Ryan, she had nightmares after he reached out to her on social media. These nightmares were about being trapped in the apartment they once lived in together. A few days before I found out about the murder, I had that dream, but I got out that time. I know it sounds really weird and it's, it's not even a joke like that, but that happened. And it, I just remember having like this kind of eerie feeling about me for a day or two. Katie got out of her abusive relationship, and if you're struggling in a similar situation, you can call the National Domestic Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. There is help and resources out there. And again, a huge thank you to Katie for sharing her story with us. And if you are out there and you have a story to tell, no story is too small. Please email us, hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us all on Instagram. Join our Facebook group by searching The First Degree. We're talking true crime all the time. Follow us on TikTok. And again, join our Patreon for lots of fun bonus content. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. Keep your friends close. But not that close. (laughs) Happy cupcake day. Happy hostess day. Hostess. With the mostest. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 